Hi, my name is Eric. And I'm Shalila. And this is Are You Still Watching? A podcast about movies hosted by Eric, who sounds a lot like Chris Pratt. Do I? Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Did you know that you sound exactly like him? No, this is brand new information to me. Well, I'll leave you to think about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really pondering it now. You've rocked my world. So yeah, your hosts, Eric, or Chris Pratt's voice twin, and Shalila. That's us. So today we are talking about Onward, uh, as that is the only movie that we sort of have to talk about. So we're kind of inescapably going to be talking a little bit about Corona, I think, and the fact that it's the reason that we're currently talking about Onward, uh, just as a quick sort of background on that, the reason that we are, on top of the fact that Shalila and I both saw Onward, and it is a worthy uh, movie to talk about. It's also like the last one they released in theaters that has some sort of like wider cultural relevance. There are a couple others that have released um, this weekend. Bloodshot with Vin Diesel, which I don't know a single person that will see it. Um, I will try to eventually. And The Hunt, which I don't know anything about. What? You don't know about The Hunt? No, I don't know anything. I know. You'll have to inform me. But that's going to be it for a while because... A lot of movies have been canceled, including the new James Bond movie, Mulan, um, Peter Rabbit 2. F9. Uh, Fast and Furious, yeah. Quiet Place Part 2, New Mutants. Quiet Place Part 2, yeah. So a lot of these movies have been moved either indefinitely or to the sort of like fall and winter. So what that means is we're kind of in a like a dry spot. We just don't have a lot to talk about um, other than Onward. It, it's definitely going to be, yeah, it's going to have legs. Because there's nothing else to see right now, so. Mm-hmm. And also, there is an entire history of movies up until this point for us to revisit, so we're not worried, and you shouldn't be. Yeah, as your number one content creators, I'm going to declare that now, that you all feel that for us. So yes, we are going to be talking about Onward, which if you have not seen and you did not listen to last week's episode, uh, Onward is Pixar's newest film. I believe it is their 21st film? Maybe. I just made that number up. I really hope I'm right. Uh, Shulila, can you fact check me while I give a brief synopsis of the film Onward? Absolutely. For those of you who have not seen it or have not seen the trailers, Onward is the story of uh, Tom Holland and Chris Pratt who play elves in a sort of like mythical modern world uh, where once upon a time there was magic and magical creatures and that world advanced to sort of a more modern day parable where things like centaurs are cops and... Uh, you know, elves are just like normal people who go to high school, etc. And they accidentally uh, sort of bring back their father using a, a staff, a magical staff that he had hidden away before his death. They bring back their father, except that they fail to bring him back completely, and they only reincarnate his pants. So they are on a quest to bring their father back completely. It is about that quest and about sort of fatherly and brotherly bonds and familial bonds in general and it is uh very very magical and humorous in the way that pixar is great at doing so that's just kind of the larger overview um of onward indeed it is also their 22nd movie oh i was so close i feel really good about that yeah it was really just like a there's only two in the 90s so i figured it has to be something like 10 per decade Mm -hmm. i feel good about that okay So Onward, or as I like to call it, the half-invisible man. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I love it. Um, I don't think we can talk about this movie at all without first addressing this fact. We have to address the pants. (laughs) 
Yeah. Because I know that's, it's like a thing that I've heard stopping people from going to see this movie. Where really? Like, is that the dumb movie about the pants? Is it that it's pants? too weird or it's it's silly or it's it's unsettling? I, th- I think it's seen as like infantile and silly and like as though it's just like too strange. It, it basically is too high oh, concept. but it's not. Yeah. So I, I just want to address that at the top. How did you feel about the pants? Can I make a joke first? Please do. So when he comes back and he's just pants, I guess he's not half the man he used to be. <laughs> okay, that one was really good. Thanks, was, man. I'm full uh, of yeah. the dad jokes. That was organic. Fun. That was organic. That was really good. That was really good. All right. Thank uh, you. Thank yeah, you. this is going to be all dad jokes because the pants are their father. Yeah, I I wasn't bothered by it. Like, I mean, when the trailer first hit, it was very weird. Like, it was kind of shocking. Um, but frankly, it kind of works. Like, it, the fact that their pants is sort of irrelevant. Like, it could have been a jacket. It could have been anything. But it, it honestly does work. And it's really not about the pants. It's more about the feet. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Like, they make really good use of, like... Rather than uh, holding your dad's hand, rather than like putting a, a hand on your shoulder to, to reassure you, the his dad's pants uh, come up and like, you know, puts his foot on like one of his son's feet just to let him know that he's there or like that kind of thing. So there's like a dancing sequence that's actually really cute and none of that really works without it being that way. So again, yeah. I think it could have worked just fine if it was any other piece of clothing. But the fact that it's pants isn't, it's not nearly as strange as you think it's going to be. Like, it actually does work, and I do think the thing that it reinforces more than anything is there's a reassurance that can be given even without the traditional ways to do it. And if they had chosen a jacket or a shirt, then you would still have, like, hugging or arm being placed, like, very traditional sort of, like, stereotyped versions of comfort. And in this case, you have to deal with something a little bit stranger and something more nuanced. So I think it worked. It didn't bother me at all. I agree. I think the scene where the pants come to life and... Not only is the dad, so the pants, trying to find his way around a room where he can't see. He's also, the sons are trying to indicate to him that they're there and who they are. And it's, I would say, one of the most touching sequences in the entire movie when they start touching his feet and indicating to him that they're, they are his sons and that they're present. And then there's that implicit understanding because there's no way that you would just touch somebody's feet and they would know who you are when you're both wearing shoes. But it comes across somehow and it's just a very beautiful sequence especially with uh chris pratt's character i think he really stole that emotional side especially in that introduction scene there's just this sort of light touch of sort of like a nostalgic touch of why they might know each other even just by feet um and that was that was actually really nice the other thing i'm going to bring up about this is the single most impressive piece of animation in that movie to me for no good reason And this is going to sound funny considering we just talked about in the last episode, I was sort of poking fun at like the discussion around Bo Peep's face and like the way that Pixar likes to market certain parts of their animation. The leather on his shoes, like the wornness of them, I just blew my mind. I don't know why. It was just like something about it. I think because it is, it feels very specifically related to like how a kid finds their dad's shoes. And it's like a pair of shoes that he's had for like 15 or 20 years. And it's always that worn leather that's really creased and used, but it's like nice. So you know that it lasts a while. And I don't know, when they first show up and the camera lingers on him, it looks like a real pair of shoes. Like it's hard to believe that they're actually animated. So I'm going to to laud the leather shoes. At some point, they're going to have to make a list of every Pixar movie but represented by the single thing that was the most impressive of them to animate. (laughs) That's a good idea, actually. I'm sure they've brought it up. Okay, general impressions on this. Um, I really liked it. I think um, that, in my opinion, Disney lightly 
buried this movie. I, I didn't think that they gave it the amount of promo that I've seen them give the average Pixar movie. And it felt a little bit like they thought from the get-go that it wasn't going to do that well. And they sort of handed the PR over to Chris Pratt and Tom Holland to carry. And it felt like maybe it was a bit more of an experimental feature to them. And I say all of this corona aside. Of course, that has harmed views of all movies and sales of all tickets. But in general, it felt just a little bit off the path for them. And I'm not sure why or why exactly I got that impression. Not sure that I could put my finger on it, but it definitely led me to believe that maybe I wasn't going to like this that much. And I definitely did. I really liked this movie. I It's obviously not going to be up there with the very best of Pixar any day, but it was really touching the elements of the movie really came together. It felt very solid and, and well-contained to me. And I really liked the story they were telling. And there were some really, really solid performances. So while there were just a couple of spikes that I loved and those lent themselves to me loving this movie, the whole thing didn't, you know, like you were saying in our previous episode, spike so high as to hit the top of my list. But I loved it. Uh, yeah, I'm actually going to agree almost entirely. It was definitely better than I expected. Um, I, I don't think I was expecting like, I don't think I expected it not to be good. It was just kind of like a, there was something about the teaser, especially that made me feel like it was going to be kind of, eh, I don't know. Um, but it was actually quite good. I, I agree. It wasn't like their best for sure. Um, I think actually I want to talk a little bit about later, like kind of buckets of Pixar movies, but, um, the emotional points really did get me. And that's not just Pixar being emotional. Your mileage may vary. Uh, depending on your experience as to whether or not the emotional beats really do hit you. But just as someone with a brother and uh, sort of uh, that component and like a younger brother and almost exactly the way that they relate to each other, there was just parts of it that definitely hit me harder than I think it would have. Um, for example, like if this movie was redone and it was about sisterhood, I don't know if it would have hit me the same way because I am not an older sister to a younger sister. So it's not like, it's not the fact that it is, there are definitely parts of it that are sibling specific, but I do think there's also parts that are like, if you are two brothers as well, um, on top of like the father to son or the father to child or anything else. Um, I'm also going to agree with you on the marketing. I don't know if they buried it. I, I don't know. It's, I felt like they marketed this the same way they did the good dinosaur, which is to say they sort of didn't. Um, it just didn't show up as much. And I don't know what that's about. I don't know if it's, I don't know, like Toy Story 4 has built-in marketing because it's a sequel. So that's obviously much easier to market because there's built-in merchandising and we already know all the characters. But I feel like with The Good Dinosaur and Onward, even though it seems like they should have been, like, I don't know how you don't make dinosaurs an easy thing to sell. And then Onward is just, literally they built their own like fantasy world. Um, but I still didn't feel like it was marketed the same way. They just didn't. And maybe it's because we're older and we're not, like, I'm not watching Disney Channel. So I have no idea if there's promos on there or maybe there's a bunch of promos on children's stores or, like, in the Disney stores themselves. You're right. We may just be missing a lot of the marketing. Yeah, but, like, even though we might be missing it, what I'm comparing it to is other Disney movies recently. And, like, if you compare that to... Uh, like Frozen 2. And I know that's sort of like apples and oranges because that's the sequel to their most successful movie ever. But if you think Frozen 2 is undermarketed, then I think you were under a rock. Like that thing was everywhere. 
the billboards, bus signs, just everything. Like, they made sure you knew. And Onward, I felt like it had this big push earlier this year before... Or earlier last year, rather, before um, the D23 Expo, which is Disney's, like, big promo day, basically. And then after that, it just didn't really happen. And I'm going to nominate... The most confusing part of that to me is that we are in a very sort of interesting time, especially in the last, like, three years, where games like, and mostly the game itself, Dungeons & Dragons have become incredibly popular again and have been allowed to become popular in like a it's okay to like it uh nerds kind of a way and this movie lives and breathes that game they're intimately tied together and that has to do with i am no doubt it has to do with the creator i think we talked about this a little bit last time about how the director uh and i believe he wrote it as well um it's about his his actual life like it's okay well he's not an elf but it's about his his dad died when right. before it's he remembered him, but his older brother remembered exactly, and it's all about a tape that he found, which also happens in the movie. So all of that points to me also having pretty safe belief that I'm sure Dungeons and Dragons was a big part of his childhood, um, depending on when he grew up as well. So all of that to say, like the marketing's built in. Like I mean, there's just never been a better time to release this movie in like a cultural sense, and there still wasn't really any big placement. Like they didn't release their own special book or or whatever, any of that. They could have released like a game ahead of time and they just didn't. So I don't know. Why do you think that is? Why do you think they they sort of like called this one before it was even out. Not to say that they thought it was going to be a failure, but that maybe the same attention wasn't paid to make it big. Well, why do you think that is? It is really bizarre. Stranger Things exists and leans heavily on recapturing that nostalgia and specifically yeah. D&D. So it's inexplicable. I, I really don't have an answer. Like I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain around it and I don't know. I mean, the last thing that came out was Frozen 2 and that was huge. Soul is coming out. But it doesn't feel like they're marketing Soul any heavier than they were Onward. So, like, I'm trying to decide, like, is it just a resource game and they're picking Soul as their Pixar movie this year? But that doesn't feel true. So, I don't know. I really can't figure out why it is that this one and Good Dinosaur and some others. I guess what I'm wondering is, do you think it's tautological? Is it that because these movies are undermarketed, less people see them? And because of that, we think that they're not as good? Or do you think it's... These movies aren't as good, so they don't market them as much, and then people don't see them, so they're not talked about as much. Yeah, I would have a hard time believing the second one, because watching this movie, if you shift yourself mentally into a universe where this got all the hype and months of promo and merchandise was everywhere and you were buried in um, hints to see this movie, I... It fits. It has it has the legs to carry a lot of promo. It was a very exciting movie. It created its own universe. And every time they do something risky and silly like that, they love to bury you in the universe before you can watch the movie. Right. So you feel like you've already entered that world and you're ready to accept it. So I don't I don't know why. I mean it had everything going for it. There's no reason for them to have felt like this one was going to be a disappointment. Um so I have no idea. Yeah, it's a mystery. But none of that should dissuade you from seeing it like it is it is definitely a quality movie like as a big sum up i think we both agree that it's not their best but it's also definitely not their worst yeah and i al- i always hesitate to say that phrase not their best because just like we were talking about in the previous episode that is only a phrase that stands because pixar has made such spectacular standout movies yeah. that have redefined animation that the bar is exceedingly high and under anybody else this movie would be a standout Uh, that's actually a really good point i would say like if you compare it to other animated features although i will say 
I, I think a lot of animation lately has gotten really good. Like there's been weird yeah. standouts in the last, say, five years. But as a general rule of the last like 20 years of that industry, if this was another company's, this would have been like their big new franchise. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think Pixar kind of has its own. It's sort of playing at at a loss already because they're so good. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of weird choices that Disney has made, um, did your screening open with a short? Yes, it did. I think this is a good thing to talk about. <laughs> I, I really want to dive into it's this. It's the Simpsons short. Why was it Playdate with Destiny, a Maggie Simpson short celebrating Disney welcoming the Simpsons and then buying 21st Century Fox and streaming the Simpsons on Disney Plus? Why? Why? Why open know. this movie with that? Why put us in the frame of mind of a weird Simpsons short that was as cute as it may have been? the world's most different thing in the world yeah. of animation from what we were about to yeah. see. I mean, all that I can say for it is that it wasn't Olaf's Frozen Adventure. That's so exactly what sure, I was about to say. It was, I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't deeply upset about it, but I, it was weird. Why? Why put that there? Yeah, I have some complicated feelings on this. So for context, in case you haven't seen Onward yet, the short ahead of Onward is a Simpsons short, and it is a short about Maggie... I think is the baby's name. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen more than two episodes of The Simpsons. So uh, she is going, uh, basically she met another baby at a park and she is enamored with him and she strives to go have another date with him, essentially. And as we talked about last time, they've canceled the shorts. There are no more Pixar shorts. Like Pixar said, they're done doing it ahead of their own movies. I don't know whose decision that was, but I'll say this. The last couple movies have made me think it wasn't theirs because <laughs> Ahead of Coco was Olaf's Frozen Adventure, which is... Uh, first, it's not a short. I don't want to say that really quick. <laughs> That's not a short. It's a short film. And those are different things. Like, yeah, uh, I, that movie was so long considering it was supposed to be a short. I remember watching it and thinking, like, when I thought it was going to be over, my little sort of, like, nerdy thinking too much about movies as I'm watching them, brain was like, wow, this feels a lot like the end of a first act. That's such a strange place to end a short. And it's because I was right. There was an entire <laughs> three act, like long structure going on in this short. And there was, I mean, a midpoint climax. Like it was nuts. And I remember again, like the story I told last time I was with my grandfather in the theater. And I remember him asking me like, is this the movie? And I was like, no, I don't know what's happening. I'm really sorry. <laughs> like I, I didn't plan on this. And this time around, it was a Simpsons short. And thankfully, it's not as long and it's better. But the thing that annoys me, I think, with it is it feels like it's just a commercial. And it feels like it's a commercial for Disney+. Plus. Like, basically, the reason... It's commercial for Disney+. Plus. Yeah, like, the reason they have it there is basically just to say, by the way, remember how we bought Fox? Look what we can do now. Like, we can give you a Simpsons short in front of Pixar. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, it was a weird, like, Disney gun show. I was like, why yes, would you take you. us That's out of the it. world of this movie Yeah, with this? You're on the top of the world right now. I, you really didn't need to ruin the experience yeah. of a movie you already seem to be sabotaging a little with this. I mean, okay, let's talk about, like, the corporate side. Uh, like, like, let's sort of ignore that for a second because there are legitimate concerns over the monopoly and the sort of uh, 
increasing devouring power that the Walt Disney Corporation has as far as like the things that it's buying up and taking as far as like shares of entertainment go. But let's move that aside for a second. I'm not impressed that they own The Simpsons. Like that's not like a thing that impresses me because they didn't create The Simpsons. So there's nothing about it that's like, because they put a short in front of my eyes doesn't mean anything to me. And maybe that's just a personal thing because I'm not that attached to The Simpsons. But I think what I'm getting at here is two things. A, The Simpsons has never been a children's property. It was an adult property that could be enjoyed by families at most. And I'm not saying that kids can't enjoy it, but I mean, it's time slot alone tells you it wasn't a children's property. So to put a short for The Simpsons in front of an explicitly children's film is very weird. And part two, the reason that we like the Pixar shorts is because they're the Pixar shorts. Like they're new original content, often very creative. Uh, If anybody has seen Piper or Bow or any of their shorts, they're incredible. And they go in front of them and they're impressive because they manage to hold emotion and drama within what five minutes max and they are are from their own house so it feels like it's a part of the experience of seeing a pixar movie olaf's frozen adventure and what is the name of this one maggie i don't even know uh play date with destiny play date with destiny those are not part of the pixar experience so if you want to impress me with the simpsons put out a simpsons movie or to just, you know, like announce I mean, don't that you're, do that, then, right, yeah. but like announce that you're going to do like whatever, like a new series on Disney Plus or announce that you're going to do shorts on there or whatever. And if you're going to impress me with Olaf shorts, put it in front of a Disney movie, not a Pixar movie. Like, like as a, as a comparison here, if the next time that you all go to see whatever the next Marvel movie is, if any movies ever come out again, uh, Black Widow, I believe. If you go see Black Widow, and in front of Black Widow, there's just a short, and the short is like, ESPN, you'd be fairly weirded out, I would assume, but ESPN is a Disney property. But if ESPN produces a random short in front of the movie Black Widow, you're like, why is this here? It's not a Marvel movie. And that's the same thing. Like, it doesn't matter that they're different, that they're all animation. What matters is you're going to see one house's style of product and the date with Destiny. It just has no bearing on it. It's so weird. Yeah, the only thing I can imagine is that they're trying to do exactly what you just said would be so weird. They're maybe trying to tell parents who are in attendance that, hey, if you've bought a Disney Plus subscription, or if you haven't, you should buy one, and then screen The Simpsons to your children? I don't know what the message is. I I think they were, because this was an oddly PG short, obviously. Like, this short was obviously okay for children to watch. The rest of the material, it, it isn't like, I don't know, South Park-esque, but it's also not explicitly for children. So I don't know if they were trying to tell parents, hey, The Simpsons are okay for children, or if they were trying to make it so. I I don't know. know. Either way, it was a weird... All I can imagine is this was a commercial for Disney+, Plus, obviously. Yeah. And I don't know if they were just trying to flex or they were trying to flex and tell parents that the simpsons is something you can put on in the background when children are there if they've enjoyed this short there's more i don't know like i i understand in a cynical way i understand them wanting to flex i actually like that like that's the word you choose instead of like a commercial because it doesn't even mention disney plus so it's sort of like a bad commercial but it it does sort of have that feeling of like Can you believe that we can do this? And I understand cynically why you want to do that, because what you're trying to do is for people who don't pay attention to media news every day, is you want to make sure people know that you have this now, that like when people think Simpsons, they think Disney. And cynically, I understand that. My preference is not a short, because shorts in front of movies, A, that's not like a thing that has existed across every movie 
in the past 40 years. That's pretty synonymous at this point with Pixar. You can't untie it from that. The only thing I can think of that's similar is Disney. When they started doing for a while, they had some of their like um, cartoon shorts in front of it. Like they would play like a Goofy short or a Mickey Mouse short in front of their movies. Yeah. So nonetheless, it's still intimately tied to the idea of Pixar or Disney animation. So, like, there's not, like, a tradition here that you have to uphold. So my preference would be, if they really want to show off, redo the Disney opening. You know what I'm talking about? Like, where it zooms in on the castle and everyone knows the music and you have the the, yeah. the thing. And if I'm remembering right, on, like, the DVDs or whatever, when that would play, it would be Tinkerbell. It would, like, zoom around and touch the top of the castle. And they change yeah. it for the movies. Like, if you watch different movies now, you'll see that they do change it and... Like, uh, for example, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, like, you can see, like, it's a pirate ship out on, on the river rather than whatever else. If they want to do that, go for it. Like, fill that thing with weird little Easter eggs. Like, have Homer rowing the boat and Mickey Mouse standing at the steps of the castle, and you can have the moon be the Death Star, and you can have Iron Man flying around the turret. Like, if you really want to show off that we have it all, go for it. But do it in a 10-second production or distributor montage and not in the short because that's just not it's not your territory really right it's the way they do the columbia pictures logo to match really different formatted movies do that run with it exactly and like they said they're already doing it like it's not the same every movie in fact the music will slightly change um if i'm remembering right the live action aladdin i think it it basically has like different instruments in it uh rather than like the traditional whatever it is string uh uh, section it's like something different etc so they already do this and if you want to flex then flex that way stop putting shorts in front of them and and please bring back the pixar shorts that's really all i can ask for uh, they're wonderful they always got oscar wins i don't know i really don't understand why they are of them if anything this made me miss them so much more what yeah. we could have had what we had instead and i guess i guess i don't know maybe i should couch this or put a note none of this is a remark on the short itself as someone who doesn't care about the simpsons it was perfectly entertaining and i'm sure a lot of work went into it etc like i'm not trying to lambast the animators and the creators of this particular short it's more the decision to put it in front of the movie that they did it's just very strange yeah a fun fact about the short is it was intended to be a full episode a long time ago many 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 years ago and the writers who were meant to write to work on it a long time ago were still down to do it as a short. And then they shoved it in front of the movie. So it's not like it was a short. <laughs> they made a short for this off something that was meant to be a full episode. So all around unnecessary. I remember feeling that way about Olaf. Uh, Olaf's Horse and Adventure, rather. I don't know if, like, I have no fact to support this, but the feeling I got from it was one of, like, the DVD extras that you would find once upon a time, where, like, there mm. would be, like, an extra short film on there, or, or, or almost like a, like a direct-to-video, like a, um, Beauty and the Beast, uh, what's that yeah, called? Shrek Magic Christmas or something? Yeah, exactly. Shrek yeah, had them, yeah. like... It almost felt like it was supposed to be, at one time or another, a DTV Christmas special or something. And for reasons unknown, they stuck it in front of one of their their full films. So I remember how reviled it was. It was so funny. Everyone was sharing like timestamps on Twitter so as to what time you should show up to the theater so you can miss it. <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous. Well. Anyway. Oh, there's a lot of negativity. Uh, do we have any more positive things to say about Onward itself? Um, yeah, let's talk about the voice performances. Go for let's it. Let's start with that because it's an animated movie. Yeah. The So 
quick rundown of the main characters. There's the two brothers, the younger one voiced by Tom Holland, the older one voiced by Chris Pratt. It's their mother voiced by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're the man that their mother is dating. I don't know if because he's not officially a stepdad. Uh, No, I think they're just dating. Also, he's a centaur. Just to be clear. Right. When she says man, she means centaur. man. Yeah. (laughs) I say man and it is deeply wrong. He is a masculine coded centaur. (laughs) I also say brothers. I should say elven brothers. The elven mother, the elven brothers, the centaur man that the mother is dating. Um... Do you know who voices him? I have no idea. Mel Rodriguez, who, I don't know, do you know who he is? Yes, he plays Todd on the show Last Man on Earth, uh, which is the Will Forte show. I don't know if anybody's right. okay. seen that. I mean, it's Never a pretty popular that. show, but I don't know who watches it really. But he plays Todd, and that's the only way that I know him. Um, yeah, there's also the actual father, like the dead father, who is played by Kyle Bornheimer who I doubt that name really strikes anything in anybody. However, he was in Marriage Story as Ted, who is the new, I think he's Scarlett Johansson's new boyfriend at the end of the movie. Oh, okay. That's a forgettable role. He's also in Avenue 5, uh, which is a great new show on HBO for anybody who's looking for new things. Um, He was in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like, he's been in some stuff. I feel like his name is just not that recognizable right off the top of your head. But yes, that is Kyle Bornheimer. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of people in this movie. There are a lot of people. There's, uh, so another main character is um, the Manticore, which is a character, but also that's the actual name of the character as well. Isn't that weird? Did you think that was weird? Yeah, it's weird that, I mean, because a Manticore is a, like, they didn't call the stepdad the centaur. Yeah, they call her the Manticore, but she doesn't have a name. I thought that was very weird. We can dive into that, though. I think there's probably a reason. Um, But she's a a very main character. She essentially accompanies the mother on a quest to find the brothers who have gone on their own quest throughout the entire movie and comes into her own as a fantastic character and is voiced by Octavia Spencer in what I consider the standout voice performance of the movie, arguably between her and Chris Pratt, one of the two. Um... And also, oh, how it pains me to talk about this, but Lena Waithe as the seventh first gay Disney character um, playing a gay cop, because that's the representation we needed. A gay cop. And Ali Wong as her girlfriend or wife or whatever. Um, Oh, still so painful. And then a bunch of other people are in this as minor characters. did not realize until just now looking at the IMDb that Wilmer Valderrama plays one of the voices in this movie. He's the college friend. Yeah, I did not know that. Um, that's all. I just really like him. Not really because, I mean, you know, he's fine. He's uh, as Fez, like uh, from That 70s Show. Uh, I don't really have any personal connection to Wilder Valderrama other than this. When he showed up again. Demi Lovato's long-term ex-boyfriend. Oh, I didn't know that until you just said that. Uh, my connection to him is he disappeared from everyone's life after that 70s show, but then suddenly was in the sexy and I know it music video and he really was. And it was a shocking moment and frankly, an inspiring one for a young Eric because Fez was a small dopey looking kid and he grew up to be a very sexy Wilmer Valderrama and therefore it felt inspirational to a young Eric. And that's it. That's my entire pitch on that. I love it. Very wholesome. So what is your what is your thoughts on the Manticore? Uh, like, why why is that the standout voice performance for you? I just really loved what Octavia Spencer did with the character. I thought it was fantastic. So the let's talk about the main 
thing about this movie, which is that it's set in a universe or a world where magic is real. It mm-hmm. exists. Um, all these creatures from essentially D&D and common fantasy franchises and worlds exist, like manticores and fairies and pixies and Unicorns. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Unicorns, thank you. Elves, obviously. Centaurs. Mm-hmm. Um, and the... the the time at which this movie is set is that magic used to be a lot more important and revered back in the day, a long time ago, and then a lot of modern comforts like electricity and technology and cell phones, etc., etc., came into play, and the world has forgotten about the magic of magic, I guess, and has decided to revel in the comforts of modern technology instead. Um, so the Manticore is probably the most central representation of that world has forgotten about the magic sort of thesis in that she was meant to be and this is all spelled out in the movie um a brave and ferocious creature who's half what's like a third lion a third scorpion a third something else eagle bat something like i don't remember bird yeah some kind of winged creature um and it was was brave and held the key to a lot of treasures and was ferocious and can breathe fire oh dragons probably dragon can breathe fire so i don't make sense um yeah and has and has a scary tavern that holds secrets and has turned that into a full service restaurant with you know kids birthday parties etc etc so the opposite of that ferocity and goes through this journey with the mother trying to track down her sons and lending all of this wisdom that she has as a manticore that is long forgotten and it's literally a part of her in that all these secrets are tattooed on her arms and um it's it's really nice because throughout the movie she keeps jumping in and out of tame modern manticore and old-fashioned ferocious manticore and i really think she does some octavia spencer does some smooth and fantastic transitions there i completely buy into her voicing this character who's having her own identity crisis while this fit like the central family in the movie is also obviously having a crisis of hey i have 24 hours with my father's pants um so I, I just I just think in in a more ham-fisted version of this character, she could have taken away from the intimacy of the family, but the way she played her character really added to the adventure that they were going on. Can I do an are you still watching first and offer a rebuttal? Please. I did not like any of those parts of the movie, <laughs> like virtually do any of them. you mean the manticore? The manticore and specifically the manticore and the mom, like their sequence. So basically there's like, there's really only an A and B plot in this movie. The A plot is the two kids are going on the quest to fully reincarnate their father, not just his pants. And the B plot is that the mother and the manticore have to go save the kids because they think that they're going to die and everything else. Because, again, this is supposed to be like a modern world where magic doesn't really exist anymore, even though everyone's still monsters. So, here's my issue. I really felt there was a lot of organic humor in the A-plot between the brothers and between the pants and all that. There were some parts where it sort of fell apart for me, like with the pixies in particular. But the most of the humor between the manticore and the mother, I don't know why it just didn't click with me. It always felt very forced in a very, like, kid jokey way, where it's sort of like, 
look at me were being loud and funny rather than being organically funny. And I don't really have a better way to describe it other than to say that it is a thing that happens in a lot of children's movies and I tend not to like it very much. And there are other movies that don't do it. And I think one of the greatest examples of that, frankly, one of the best movies ever made is the first two Shrek movies. They just don't have these examples I'm talking about. Like it all feels organic. And I don't really, I don't really know a good way to quantify this. I think I'd have to watch it again and to really get a sense of it. But I liked the character itself. I liked the idea. I think Octavia Spencer did a fine job. Like I have no qualm against that really. It's just the the humor delivery, particularly when they were together. It really didn't click with me. I don't know. I mean, that's very fair. I'm sorry it didn't work for you. <laughs> I will say this. I think the Pixies were worse. Oh, that was the worst part of the movie. And, oh, and I think this is a good example of what I'm talking about. So there's this part with the Pixies. And basically, they go to a gas station. There's Pixies. The Pixies are supposed to be like bikers in this movie. And that's what's already supposed to be funny is it's like, oh, look at these little Pixies. Isn't it funny that they're all super serious bikers who wear leather jackets and drive motorcycles? And I guess that's supposed to be funny. And that's fine. I'll let that go. But then most of the humor from them comes from the fact that they have really high-pitched voices and that they yell. And that's... It's just not funny. Like, I don't know. There's no, that's not, it's not doing anything. Like, there's no actual humor there. It's just this sort of very infantile. And when I mean infantile, I don't mean for children. Again, like, Shrek is also for children. And that movie is legendarily hilarious. And I will go to war for that movie. Uh, this is just not. It's like funny in a, it's supposed to be funny, but in this very infantilizing way of like, isn't it funny they have high pitched voices? Not really. Like, there's just nothing about it that you made funny, so I don't really know what we're supposed to get from it. Yeah, I'm with you. It was silly. The whole thing felt like the plot with the Pixies in general, every time they ever came up, could have been deleted from the movie and it would have yeah. changed absolutely nothing. Agreed. It didn't do anything to change it. I feel like their only addition they had towards the plot is that obviously this movie was... So the most predictable part of this movie is that obviously these brothers were going to return their town to a sense of caring about magic, right? Like there was going to be an ending in which to some extent, maybe not entirely, because of the journey that these brothers go on, everyone around them remembers that magic exists and is a joyful thing to have and wield and explore and i think the pixies were meant to be a direct representation of that it was meant to be hey we've forgotten we can fly so we are bikers now and then when uh, the brothers remind them that they can fly at the end of the movie they're flying around everywhere great you know what's weird it doesn't nothing else changes though did you notice that like in other words they learn to fly but they don't change their personalities So, like, the lesson is that they learn to fly, and thereby that's coded as, like, a net good. But nothing else changes. Like, it's not like the pixies don't suddenly become less terrible. Because they're shown to be pretty, like, bad people. Like, they go in and they just wreck this grocery store for no reason. Or, uh, uh, like, a gas station for no reason. Mm -hmm. But at the end of it, it's not like connecting with their roots and their ancestral magics does anything to better them. They just fly and are also bad now. So I didn't understand that. I was like, now what was the point? I mean, my takeaway was that... It would have been too much of an old-fashioned, simple lesson if they flash forward to after the adventure and the entire city or town or village is just using magic like it was the olden days. It would just be like, well, then, great. (laughs) Right, right. Um, It would have been way too simple. So I think what they were just trying to say is hey, we've been set in our ways for so long, it's going to take us some time to not only snap out of it, but number two, find a way to merge that with what we still consider essential. Like in this world in which, I don't know, they're using cell phones. Like how do we 
discover the joy of magic and also not throw our phones away. So I guess they were just trying to say, hey, it's kind of realistic that it's only been a while since they finished this whole quest. So the world hasn't completely changed. It's just getting there. And the pixies are the first step towards that. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Well, that was uh, our used to watching first uh, rebuttal brought to you by Eric. Um, yeah, and again, it's not to say that I hated it. I just wasn't, it wasn't my favorite part of the movie for sure. That being said, I really liked the mom, like as a character and mm-hmm. conceptually, especially at the end. I really enjoyed the mom. I felt like they weren't always using her to the level that they could have. I really felt like the manticore almost took away from what could have been the mother's sort of own plot or own own trajectory and own journey. Um, but then again, maybe maybe that's just because I didn't connect with it as much. Um but I really enjoyed Julie Lee Dreyfus's performance, and I really like that character. She just has a lot of, basically, the uh, if you haven't seen it or looking for a little more context, she very much plays like the, um, she's now a single mother because of a, a tragic death, and, but she she's like the I don't know like the cool mom. Is that how you would call her? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, she, 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 like, wrestles with her son, and she just tries to get her kids to eat, and she's just trying to everybody to be kind of happy, but she's not, like, overly doting, although she is on her youngest son a little bit, um, but she's not, like, overly critical. She's not overly anything, really. She's just trying to be the cool mom and trying to do her best and, trying like, sort of faced with the reality that it may never, like, it's not all going to be perfect, um, because what she really wants is for her sons to love themselves. And neither of them really does that. So it's just an interesting sort of journey to see her going to save them when the journey that she actually wants for them is to love themselves. So I I liked that a lot. Yeah, I'm glad we're talking about family in this movie because obviously it's a movie about family. But it was one of my favorite things about the movie, how the mother handled every situation she was in. Um, I thought it was... so, So the older brother, Chris Pratt's character, is meant to be a little bit of a an alt kind of guy like he's a little like punkish and he's taking a gap year before going to I don't know college or whatever and he's kind of you know people don't always think he takes the straight path so he sort of seems like a guy who is very kind very nice well-meaning but because of the choices he makes and mostly his appearance and he seems a little like punky and alt and a little bit of a nerd that people around him think that he's not the greatest so it's kind of like a misunderstood character just as a just as a quick note when Shalila says alt she means like alternative lifestyle, not like alt white. Just to be clear, yeah. Oh, I didn't even <laughs> yeah. think of that. So he's thank like you. he's like chill. In fact, one of his primary character traits is that he like is a protester. Like he tries to like save like historical landmarks and stuff like that from yeah. destruction by companies. So just to be clear, is not uh, he does not play an elf Nazi. He is just <laughs> sort of aimless in life. Yes, and I think the movie also does a pretty good job at explaining that. Other people may see him as aimless, but he's certainly got his own aims, so it's nice. Um, What's really wholesome is I think in a lot of other movies, um, probably out of necessity, the mother character in such a situation is kind of harsh and strict out of a combination of wanting to put that person back on track and essentially be both parents and all the pressure that comes with that. But... And not to say that there's a right or wrong way to go about something as horrifically sad and difficult as that, but um, the mother character here, I just love, I love so much that she just fully supports him anyway. She's very, she very much understands that he isn't causing anybody any harm. He's just kind of different and he's like a kind 
person and he never she never gets exasperated in front of him she always understands the the intentions that both of them have and that he's just like this well-meaning nerd i love that and in general she's just she's such a like yes and mom like that's something i was Agreed. thinking the whole movie like they would say anything and she'd be like you know what like Yes, I encourage your passions. Um, She's just maximum supportive. She really, basically what she shows is that you can combine being a concerned mom who wants the best for her, for your kids with being supportive and trusting first and foremost. Well, she obviously sees her kids going off on this adventure. She understands the very practical dangers of them driving off in the middle of the night um, into the outskirts of the city with the fact that they have a reason to be doing what they're doing. And that she trusts that the world may put them in danger, but they will make the good choices that they are they have been taught to. And that's I, the whole time I was watching, I was like, that's the kind of parent I want to be. Like it was it's just it was just good parenting. Yeah, I think even with uh, even with Chris Pratt's character, like she is she's shown to be like a little bit worried about him. Like um, there's one point in which her cop of a boyfriend comes to uh, like basically say like, hey, we got to talk about the fact that you were protesting again. And she's always kind of like, ugh, like you gotta be, you gotta be careful. But like the, the way that her concern is expressed, at least to me, it was never like you are a screw up and you need to fix your life. It was, I'm just sort of worried about you in like a general sense of like, I want to make sure that you're being safe and careful. Not, I disagree with the fundamental concept of what you're doing and you should be a better person. She seems to recognize that he is a very good person. Um, That actually confused me a little bit. I want to point this out. I think this movie felt like it was a little, maybe not outdated. I guess it's just that the adults that it's trying to target are not us because the, the, the brother is very much coded to be a screw up. Like the language, everything else is meant for you, the audience to know like, man, this kid's life, he's really not like doing the right stuff, but it's in like a very eighties way. Like that's what I was gonna say. Like while you're telling me that, I was like, we're it not quite those people. For me. That's what I mean. Like for me, I was like, oh, you mean the really like emotionally in tuned brother who's looking out for his younger brother who li- really loves his van. He likes what he likes. He's a big fan of D and D. He loves painting on his van, and his primary thing in life seems to be protecting historical landmarks from being destroyed by corporations. I don't right. really like so millennials. See- yeah. yeah, exactly. I was like, I feel like you're 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 implying something. That is sort of outdated because maybe the oldest members of the audience are like, oh, that kid's a screw up. But my guess is if you're like sub 45, you're more of the mind of like, yeah, that kid's killing it. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, totally. I just didn't really, that was, that was one of the more confusing parts of the movie to me. It was like, I, I feel like you guys missed this by a couple, maybe like a decade. It was released 10 years ago. Maybe we would have all been like, yeah, that's not quite right. But now we're like, no, he's, he's doing exactly the right thing. They did do a good job of making making it clear though that he's a kind person. Like every time yeah. the younger brother got really, what is his name? Ian. The younger brother's I Ian. The older no one's idea. Barley. I'm pretty sure that's what oh, it is. It just they just seemed like such fake names that I I, I, <laughs> I only know them as Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. Yeah. So Ian's a younger one, and what I think is Barley is the older one, or it might be a word that sounds really similar to Barley, but I definitely heard Barley, so we're going with Barley. And every time Ian got really kind of exasperated because he, so his driving force is he's never met his dad, and he has no memories with his dad, and he, it is of the utmost importance that this quest be completed so he can spend some time with his dad not as just a pair of pants. And obviously the older brother is doing everything he can because he shares the goal, but not to the same 
level of intensity because he has two, three, maybe four memories with his father. And it's he has more of a complex relationship because he has actually met his father and had to contend with losing him. So for him, it's less of my father is this wondrous, perfect presence who I would like to meet for the first time ever and more of, oh my God, I, this is so complex. I don't know how to deal with it. So um, every time Ian gets kind of exasperating and saying, we have to move on, stop making your weird choices. Like, just want to meet dad. The older brother always is really understanding. He's always like, you know what? Like, I know I know what you want and I understand and here's what I was intending to do. He never like yells, he's never he's never really annoyed. He gets annoyed once when he feels misunderstood because that's his entire character. They when they were storyboarding this, they were probably like older brother misunderstood. So that's his whole deal. <laughs> um but apart from that, he's he's always very understanding and patient. So that's it's it's wholesome. It's good. And in yeah. general, he's just very kind of so his Barley's character He's the guy who's obsessed with the olden days, right? Like he's all, he's not yeah. stuck in the past. He's just fascinated by it and fully appreciates how magic used to be and plays quests of yore, which is exactly D&D, but in the universe of this movie and is, you know, knows all of the mythos and knows all the spells and basically knows all the stuff. Um, but the same way that somebody today who is a big D&D nerd would, like as if it wasn't real. So yep. that's kind of how people treat it around him, right? They're just like, oh, that's really cool. You're into your little games and stuff. And he's like, no, we live in a world where this used to be the truth. Um, and now he's really happy because he has this opportunity to rediscover it as it was. So it, it, it falls to reason that when we discover that the younger brother is the one who can wield the magic, that he, as the misunderstood magic-obsessed brother, would Barley, the older one, would be really upset that he can't do the magic. But he's actually super unselfish. He just encourages Ian to do his best, and he's just like, my younger brother, I wizard. I yeah. It's awesome. Like, he's like, yeah. you know, it's in our family. Like, in any, in a lesser movie, they would have been like, he's all mad that it wasn't him, you know? Like, he's like, I've earned this, but it's yeah. not me. And I feel like usually, like... Like, we talked about this, like, Pixar's villains, in quotes, resist change, right? Like, they don't want things to change. But he's kind of been really open to how the world has developed. And yeah. um, and his, it's, it's just, it's really nice. It was just, it was just such a great um, relationship. And obviously, that's the whole thesis of the movie. It's obviously about a relationship with your dad. But the real hidden message is it's about a relationship between a younger and older brother. And mm -hmm. as I'm somebody who does not have a younger or older brother and isn't a brother at all, I'm going to leave you to talk to whatever you'd like to say about that. Yeah. So actually, that's a great segue into the ending, which I think is definitely my favorite part of the movie, um, uh, which is sort of surprising because it is very hard to end movies. And often, uh, I would say in animation, especially, I've noticed even in Pixar, they don't always stick the landing as well as they could, I think. Um, this movie to me, like it it's sword in the ending uh first there is a, uh, a a dragon creature that they have to fight um that is some of my favorite pieces of animation in the movie it was just very creative and very different uh and they could have gone like a much more expected route and they chose to go with something utterly unexpected uh and i, I think that was actually maybe my hardest laugh of the movie too I don't know mm -hmm. if you would agree, but there was just... Is it when the dragon face turns around? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you, you sort of realize, like, when you see it, you're like, ah, that's what they're going to do. But it's it's really satisfying and honestly, really incredible animation. Basically, this dragon that's made up of all of the broken pieces of, of a school that has just been destroyed. And the fact that it's sort of this big moving amalgamation of parts is, is really impressive. Um, 
nonetheless, the, the the final conclusion, the final sort of climax of the movie is they have to they have to survive this dragon while they're trying to reincarnate their father, and both of them have to happen at the same time. And there's a very beautiful sacrifice made by one of the characters. Um, I'm not going to spoil it, um, but a very beautiful sort of sacrifice made in recognition of what is is more important and and recognition of sort of the value that, that people have for each other um but it is that was the part of the movie that also got me got me pretty bad i'll admit uh for the most of the movie yeah. i was like in touch with it and i was like Whew, this is gonna be a brother movie i can tell and there were some sweet moments where i was like ah this is this is getting me a little bit um this will be two episodes in a row that i shout out aubrey who i don't think has ever listened to this if you're listening to this right now aubrey i'm very mad because I don't think that you've listened to any episodes. So I take back my <laughs> shout out. Anyway, uh, but the end of it is very, very touching. That one got me bad. I uh, definitely started tearing up at that because there is this, um, I would say the thesis of the movie as a whole, uh, or at least what I got out of it at the end was there, and I'm only going to speak in reference to Brothers because that is sort of what it's it's referencing. So this is not to say that it is something that couldn't be shared by others. But what it is basically getting at is that in the vacuum of of love and of comfort and of what you need from a parent, in this case from a father, but it could be from any sort of parental figure or guardian figure, there that vacuum can be filled by a brother. And the sort of love and bond that a brother will have with a with another brother, be they younger or older, because they both are filling a role for each other that they may not be aware that they're even filling, um, which is it can be uh, basically like a father and son, but importantly, they're both filling it at the same time. Um, the the older brother might need that sort of uh, paternal and parental feelings that they, they begin to imbue on the younger brother um, because that's what they might be missing or they might have missed uh, is the ability to feel that and therefore they may be the ones who give it. And vice versa, as the younger brother, you might be missing ever having received those feelings, and therefore you may wish to receive them. So there's just this sort of really beautiful um, give and take that is in both of those the, in, in both of the brothers, and is very much highlighted in that ending, um, which I really enjoyed. Uh, I think they made really great use of of the, the sort of lessons and journey throughout the movie that the brothers were giving to each other and and even like literally the magics that were shown, they made really good use of bringing those back toward the end in a way that's like expected, but is also, it pays off really well. Um, although my favorite piece of payoff in the movie is when Julia Louis-Dreyfus shows up at the end and helps them defeat the dragon using the like jazzercise video that she watches at the beginning. Did you catch that too, where she has the sword and she's like, uh, oh. she's like, I am a warrior or whatever, because that's what she's doing at the beginning of the movie. Um, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that was really good. Um, and it, again, like, I actually like that because to me, what it showed is that the movie's thesis is not that modern technology should not exist. Like, it's definitely not advocating that we shouldn't have technology. The kid's sad about losing his phone. The brother loves a car. Like, it, it's not to say that. And even the end sort of reinforces that. Like she's able to do what she does because she's literally using what she learned in her Tybo video. Um, it's just to show that we should not lose basically in this case, the magic of the past uh, completely in favor of the future of modernity. They can work hand in hand essentially. So yeah, it was uh, it, it was very beautiful and that was a great callback. And 
yeah, I would say the ending definitely, maybe maybe almost like biased me. I think actually, to be fair, a lot of this movie, I was sort of tepid on. I was sort of like, eh, that was okay. Yeah. It was fine. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It was just mediocre. But when it soared, it really did. And that's why I think it brought me into a, a feeling when I left of, you know what? This was a pretty, pretty good movie all the way around. Yeah. The ending sealed it for me hard. I think without that yeah. ending, I would have been also very lukewarm on the movie. Agreed. As, as a person who D&Ds as well, um, I just want to shout that out. If you are also a person who does uh, any sort of like uh, social gaming, etc. Uh, this movie is like a huge fan of it. <laughs> it's like a hardcore advocate of it. And at first it plays it as sort of like a negative because it's what the brother's doing. But throughout the rest of it, it is so intricately linked and that's actually something else that felt very touching to me because mm-hmm. just for me personally my brother and i like the majority of our interactions in our lives were involving fiction like they were involved fictional worlds that we were in together um so to see that sort of brought to the screen of like how much the older brother treats that as law not because i think he literally well he does to a degree think that it's real but because that is the lens through which he is relating to his brother. And that's, it was just a really beautiful thing. So just want to shout that out. If you don't D&D, you should. That's exactly what I was going to talk to you about. I was going to ask you to comment on D&D. So since this movie has um, quests of yore, again, I'll keep <laughs> saying it. So a couple of things about that. Um, number one, in general, I loved this movie because it was a quest movie i live for that shit like the movie like a movie about you know a quest that you're going on and there's different stages and there's powers and things that you discover and there's booby traps in this movie and there's tension and there's puzzles and all the mythology comes to life and there's a path they follow and that path literally brings them back home and there's that whole you know transformers dragon that eric talked about and at this point in the movie they've hammered in that magic is real but that it's also simpler than you think and it's all around you i feel like that simple message just feeds into exactly what you were just saying which is that really simple childhood fantasy we've all had which is that well at least i have i don't know about everyone but i bet it's a bit of a nerd thing but like i've always had this specific fantasy that basically the ordinary world around me is more than it seems and holds all these historic magical secrets that stand to this day and can be rediscovered by those who believe like very like harry potter like pull the sword out of the rock kind of um nancy drew finds an old clue from the past like those kind of things are that is my shit it's up there so this movie being about exactly that like these two brothers who go around and find that ancient secrets still hold and that is the path they have to follow, and that their suspicions were confirmed. I love it. Now, related to that, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. So, D&D in our world is fascinating for many reasons. I cannot even pretend to know most of them, but I can imagine a main thing is that it's a fantasy world, right? Like, all these things do not actually exist, so it's really cool to dive into them and pretend that you get to have all of these creatures and these worlds and powers and everything and personas. So in this, in the movie's universe, where all of these creatures and magic actually does exist, why do you think that that would make the board game Quests of Yore less interesting? Because all of that stuff is real? Does that make sense? No, it does. I actually, I was thinking about that during the course of the movie because, and this is, this is sort of tangentially related to that, but one of my weird, like, small quibbles with the movie is that it does such a good job of saying that some things are real, 
that it made me wonder about the other stuff. So for example, like they specifically highlight the centaur and the elves and the unicorn and the dragon and the manticore. But then the vast majority of people that you see are just these like one-eyed creatures uh, that, that right, the have like a horn cops. on their head. Psych yeah, cops? exactly. Sorry. And but again, like the majority, like when they're in this big restaurant, most of the things in there are that creature. And I couldn't help but think, what are those things? Because you already spent so much time highlighting the rest of them. It's almost the inverse of Monsters, Inc., so Monsters, Inc. does a really good job of never giving you a monster that you recognize except the Abominable Snowman. And it's like this sudden thing that's like kind of funny. But it's not like they have a Dracula and a Frankenstein and a, and a creature in the Black Lagoon. Like they don't do that because then you spend the rest of the time wondering what everything else is. And in this case, they do the inverse. So to tie it back to your question, I felt kind of almost a little bit confused about that very thing because they... It's not like a myth. Like, there's no question that magic did exist. There's no question. I mean, like, the manticore literally lives down the road. And she says that her her kids' um, her kids menus that have, like, coloring pages on them are based on her old quest. And I guess it's up to, like, you could put yourself in the mind of the audience of her tavern and say, like, well, maybe they think it's fake or whatever. But it all seems pretty clear that everyone knows this all exists. And the Manticore is ancient. Like, she's been around for centuries. So I agree. It does seem like it would change it. Um, I'm actually going to relate it to something that is incredibly obscure. So bear with me. Mm -hmm. There was a game when I was a child, a card game, I believe, that is essentially the real life version of what this game was. And it was a card game in which, and I say card game in the sense of like, um, I, I, I don't even remember the rules, but basically imagine like a Pokemon card game clone or like a, like a Yu-Gi-Oh kind of clone, except that the cards were all real things. So basically you would play against someone and you would have a deck and the deck would be full of cards that included things like, you know, you would play Great White Shark against my Silverback Gorilla. And some of those cards would be like, here's a Triceratops and here's a T-Rex. And that, to me, it's the only thing I can think of that would be the real-life mirror. Because, again, like, what they've established is they all know that this is real. So when you're playing the game, you're not playing a fictional thing. You're playing a historical thing. And that's a different concept. Mm, got it. Like, our version of that now would be, like, if we sat down and played a, a, a RPG where what we got to play as is, like, you get to be a Whig and I get to be a Democratic Republican and we get to go try to throw the tea out of the harbor in Boston. Right. <laughs> like, that would be the quest. Like, that's the only way that I could think to relate it because it's just not... I don't know. It, it was a weird little thing. And, again, this is, like, quibbling. Like, I don't think it really matters to the movie. But if you do stop and think about it for a second, it does seem very weird that they treat quests of yore as though it is a fantasy game. When it's not, it's historical fiction. Yeah. Because the way, again, I think it's just slightly off characterization of the older brother. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm Well, I guess it's not off characterization, really, because he's obsessed with historical places and artifacts. Right. But it's that's the thing. It's like he his character is obsessed with historical stuff, which makes sense. But it, they also coded him as the human equivalent of a person who plays a lot of fantasy yes, games. Yes, so that, that's okay. what I'm saying. Yeah, there you go. I, I think it's the way that they coded the game. Like the fact that they're like, look at this fantasy game that's just like D&D, but importantly, it's not. They're just very different ideas. Although I guess maybe it's not that important because it's clear that the world treats it just like they treat D&D. &D. So right. I guess in that case, it doesn't really matter. But 
if you do think about it for more than five seconds, you do realize that it is sort of a strange thing. Um, for, for I definitely thought about it for the whole movie, so I'm, I'm asking yes. you because it did pull me out. No, I agree. Like, basically, the comparison would be, like, in their movie, if he was playing D&D, his characters and his traits and his game would be about, like, tanks and, uh, yeah. like, airplanes in a world where there was no magic. So, like, even though they have all those things, like, we have swords and we have creatures in the real world but in D&D it's magic swords and it's monsters so in their version of it it would be like oh my god look at this brown bear isn't that terrifying Mm -hmm. like it's a grizzly bear and also you have a shotgun to deal with the grizzly bear look at that fantasy like that would be their version of D&D but I understand why I guess they couldn't do that for the movie because a that would be confusing and b uh probably not as marketable yeah this does go back to my original point though How have they not released ahead of time or even now a quest of your game? Doesn't that seem ready-made? They could basically do like a children's D&D light and make a mint, and they haven't done it. They could even tie it in with an existing franchise. It wouldn't be that hard. No, they could just do licensing. I don't, like, if I was them, I would go to Wizards of the Coast, who is owned by Hasbro, who makes uh, Dungeons & Dragons, and I would say, hey, can you do a tie-in? Can you do a D&D book for Onward? And... It'll only be called on, you know, it'll have all the things like you won't have to think about D&D at all because it'll be called Quest of Yorn and we'll get kids into right. it and it'll be beneficial for us both. And it hasn't happened. Yeah, that's bizarre. This is why you and I should be in charge. I know. Come on, guys. We're up for hire. We're, we're it's a having this podcast is a cry for help. So <laughs> please hire us. Um. Okay. Can I take us on a bizarre tangent? Please do so. Okay. So this movie reminded me of two other movies that I can't believe I'm going to talk about. Um, and those movies are Bright on Netflix oh, and Wizards God. of Waverly Place the movie. Have you yeah, seen either yeah. of these? Yes to both. Yes to both. I've seen both. Oh, thank God. Okay, so I don't have to dig as deep as it, I would have had to to explain these because I honestly don't want to talk about them that much. But this movie... Oh my God, it's just like Bright. Right. Right. So wait, so let's talk about Bright really quickly, just just for people who don't know what this is. I mean, don't watch it. Definitely do not watch this movie. It's god awful. We're not kidding. Don't watch it. Yeah. It's, like it's not horrible. Worth it. It's and not it's like not offensively bad. It's a little offensive. It's a but little it offensively bad. It fails really hard. <laughs> in fact, it might be really offensively bad. Actually, yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> There's some racism <laughs> in that movie. Some real it's, racism. It tries really, it's basically like a kind of like a serious drama which is again set in a universe where all of these creatures like fairies and orcs and stuff exist and there's all these weird specific parallels like there's cops who are orcs and he's like the first orc cop and there's the fairies who are like weirdly sinister and i mean what was going on with this movie why did they make it i mean the the real parallel is just that it's another movie that's set in pseudo modern times in quotes where all these magical creatures exist and coexist and have their own kind of standings in society and there's all that complication and they tried to make several statements with it but they failed about as hard as like joker did so it was astoundingly big fail bizarre yeah the movie opens with a joke about a police shooting except it's okay because it's a fairy like it is one of the most tone deaf pieces of art i have seen in a long time yeah I don't know how else to describe it's it. Tr- and it's like the, I'm pretty sure it was like Imagine Dragons playing over the opening credits and you were like, oh, this yeah. is already going down. It's but you're right. Good. It is a lot like Onward. Like, at least um, aesthetically. 
I mean, it's not, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the whole time yeah. I was watching, I was like, how bizarre that both of these both of these movies have this kind of similar premise. No, um, good call. But what I liked about it is that it's similar to Wizards of Waverly Place in that it's one of those family quest movies. You know, I, that's that's again, yeah. I really like this quest thing. I live for it, which is this is exactly why I I was so into Pokemon Go as a person who never ever played Pokemon. Really, I just like that thing, which is like magic is around you and it's real, right. and like because you believe you will be able to find it. Like I'm such an easy sell on that stuff. So. That whole like there's a, and there's also a literal scene in both Wizards of Waverly Place the movie if I remember correctly, and in Onward you have to you have to cross basically some kind of crevasse from you know kind of like a cliff top to another cliff top and because you trust in your family member you find a way to cross and it's a very specific old magic thing and it's just it was a scene that reminded me very hard hmm. of Wizards of Waverly Place and yeah it made me very happy. Well, I think that is a good segue into our first game, uh, since we're talking about your love for questing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are in the world of Onward, and uh, we managed to find, uh, we are currently siblings in this scenario, and we find our dead father's magic staff, and we accidentally bring back his pants, and therefore we must go on a quest, you and I. My question to you is, in this scenario, what, like, what is your shtick? Who are you? Because in this movie, we basically are given, in like D&D terms, we're given a, a couple of different classes. Like the manticore is basically like your barbarian is what it's called. Like your big, powerful thing that is meant to be hit a lot and do some stuff. And uh, is also shown to be like not supremely intelligent. Uh, and then you have the mom, which was honestly one of my, wow, you can tell I've been in the Midwest for a while. My moms are becoming very ma'am. Um, you can tell, I thought this was interesting is she is supposed to be like the warrior, right? She's got the sword at the end. She's like the one that literally picks up the magic sword and ends up, uh, uh, helping defeat the dragon. And, um, I thought that was really cool. And then you have the brothers who kind of collectively together are supposed to be like your wizard. Um, the brother, the older brother actually knows everything. Like he's obsessed with the books and he knows all the, the stuff. And then you have the younger brother who can actually do it and is capable of, of actually performing that magic. So my question to you is, it doesn't have to be restricted to those things, but what is your shtick? What, uh, what class do you take in order to undertake this journey? So I don't really play these fantasy things a lot, so I don't really have a great well thought out answer but i'll answer through the way in which i play video games which is how i assume my journey on a quest would probably go perfect so i'm one of those people where i can't miss a damn thing like if there's i know that you're the opposite of this but if there's something that can be gotten like you know like moons on super mario odyssey or cheese and ratatouille or strawberries on celeste or side paths on any game i cannot move forward unless i have picked up every single thing (laughs) and i've done it to its entirety and i found every level had gotten all the coins and oh my god like i i stress myself out so much and that definitely extends to my real life so i just imagine i would be some kind of completionist i'm not sure how that would manifest itself but I would just need everything to happen the way it was. it's meant to, and I wouldn't be able to skip any steps. And I'm pretty adventurous. Like, I don't mind taking a side path, but I need to know what was on the main path. That's all I got you, for you, you. I'm not a fantasy So it person. sounds like you're definitely, like, you're, you're very much like Chris Pratt's character in this, then. Where, like, he's very much, like, 
no, 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 like, we're not going down the highway, we're going down this offshoot, because that's where we should go, and, like, we'll see cooler stuff, and, like, what if we miss something? Like, what yeah, if, what if we them. miss the stuff I'm on that? that? Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's cool, that's good. cool. Yes, uh, Shalula and I have talked about this, uh, that in video game terms, I am wildly not that person. Uh, like, in many video games, especially of the past probably 15, 20 years, there are these little things that you can do that aren't related to anything important, like collect all of the flags. I don't want to, so I don't. I've never, never sought to do that. I, I am I am definitely more of, uh, what's his face, of Tom Holland in this movie. Like, if the answer is, can we take the highway to get there? Yeah, I'm going to take the highway. Why wouldn't I take the highway? You know, that's the, that's the most direct route. Let's not mess Fascinating. around. Yeah, I'm just not a... Which is funny because I do like... Like in my life life, I like meandering. It's fun. But if I have a if I have a goal, let's get to that goal. You know? I, I don't have time for all this other nonsense. I would love to be that way. I can't relate. Okay, so in this case, let me, let me see if I can summon for you what your class might be. So you really like to look around for stuff. You really like to, to have every piece of thing collected and to just kind of... To, to know it all. Yeah, um, I would like to solve all the riddles. All of them. I'm you want to solve all the riddles? Got it, got it. Would you say that you feel that you're a more... Uh, would you be more inclined to solve conflict through physicality or through magic? Oh, are those opposing? Interesting. Yeah, like in other words, like you're presented with a problem. Do you, do you want to talk your way out of the problem? Do you want to hit that problem with a bat? Or do you want to magic away that problem? Um, I'm getting a free personality test out of this. Um, yeah, I'm basically living BuzzFeed quiz. I just, whatever you can do to confront it. I don't know. I, okay. Can you tell I don't do any of these games? No, that's okay. I'm, I'm going to give you this then. I'm going to say that you are basically, uh, like what you're talking about is you are somewhat of a wizard. You want to know everything, uh, but you're also kind of like a bard. You just want to, you don't necessarily want to punch that thing. You would rather just know everything about it. And use all of that knowledge in order to maybe, maybe uh, talk it to death, or maybe yeah. uh, just get yourself out of that situation through a non, not necessarily violent means, um, because you have all the knowledge you need. Yes, I like it. At this point, everyone who's ever dated me and is listening to this is going bullshit. You just like to yell and throw <laughs> things. So that's great. So there you go. You have lots of options. Uh, I like it. What have you diagnosed yourself as? Um, I definitely wish that I was that way. Like, uh, if I, you know, like if I was actually playing Quest of Yore, I'm sure I would try to be a wizard or something, um, something interesting, something sneaky, something I can't do. But if I'm being realistic, I really just like having problems solved and then never talking about them again. So I feel as though my goal would be to, I, I have a feeling I would be more like the Manticore. As in, I'm not capable of that myself physically, but in this scenario, my dream would be pick up the thing and hit the thing so that it's not a problem and then just kind of just move on. Like, we don't ever have to talk about it again. The problem is solved. Yeah, exactly. So I would say in this case, I feel I am much more like the Manticore. Um, Let's just solve it. Let's just burn down the tavern. Let's just burn it down. There's no point. Burn it down and then go. I love it. Okay. I'm I'm for it. I understand. I think we would be good partners on a quest like that. We absolutely would. That's good quest balance. See, this was all just a play for me to get you to play D&D with me. Oh, God. You just have to fly across the pond. Will quarantine be the reason that <laughs> gets oh, me to... Oh, perfect. Quarantine RPG? I love it. 
Uh, lovely. So I want to talk really quickly about some peanut gallery stuff that I also liked about this movie that probably bears a mention that I'm sure you've got a couple that'll come to light. Um, Go for it. Number one, um, I really loved the title of this movie. I think usually Pixar honestly has some kind of uncreative titles because they don't need to have like a hard sell on the title. They just make such great movies. But I thought this was a pretty, this was a title with some depth to it, which is more than they usually do. It's not like immensely deep. It's obviously about onward, you know, like move forward in the quest slash onward into the next life slash moving on from something slash there's a literal mention in this movie where the older brother's van is kind of broken. So the, the, the speedometer or whatever it is, the, the gear, can you tell I can't drive, has a something, a setting that says O for onward. And the whole thing is just very cute. The setting, the, the gear. The... That was wonderful. The wheel with the arrow? Yeah, Wait, also, it. side note, there's the, the younger brother in this movie can't drive or is like taking his driving test and he gets like immensely freaked out when he has to drive under high pressure and merge onto the highway. And that is this this movie. I wrote this down in my phone and instantly texted my friend about it, that this is my favorite representation of exactly how I feel about driving. Good representation of nervous drivers. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about the title? I liked it. I uh, I feel like a lot of the times... I feel like Pixar usually falls into uh, like one of two buckets. It's either exactly on the nose, like Wally Finding Nemo, Toy Story. Like it, it just explains exactly what it is. Or it goes this other route where you're just not really like up. Like I don't know. Yeah. I like I know obviously it's about the house going up, but there's not like a. I don't think there's some larger meaning. Like I don't think up refers to the wife's death. Or yeah. his desire to transcend out of this mortal plane to be with his wife. Like, I don't think so. I think it's just that it's supposed to go up. And Onward, to me, felt like a nice sort of interesting new blend of that, where uh, it's not the good dinosaur, but it's also not up. It's just... They it's, love their directions. Yeah, it kind of has, like, a little bit of meaning to it, but it's also explicit enough that it gives you a tone. Like, you know that this is going to be not necessarily fantasy, but at least questy, like onward, like something kind of older. Um, and the poster is really good because it has onward, which does seem very archaic. And then beneath it is like a 1980s nerd van. So I just, that whole thing worked really well, I think. Speaking of the van, I I feel like the van, so the older brother has a van in this movie that they drive through and it's kind of a mini character. It was kind of my bing bong in the movie. Like when, when, I mean, that's a little bit of a spoiler, but the van plays a role in the quest, and I cried. Yeah, it was, um, I definitely didn't cry, but it was a, it was a more emotional moment than I certainly expected. They played it with far more emotion than I would have thought, and it elicited more in me than I would have expected. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, considering it's a van. Yeah, also, it was really clear... So we talked about how this movie, the the guy who directed it and wrote it was drawing on personal experience, but it was really loving that that did come out. Like all these little specific moments, like um, when the older brother has this conversation where he says, oh, you know, I have this, I have this regret where I could have met my dad um, when he was really sick, but I didn't want to see him, you know, looking so different and all sickly and it just kind of freaked me out. So I elected not to meet him and I was really young and I think about it all the time and I regret it. And that's just one of those details where it could have been something they just wrote into the script, but it just feels so autobiographical. Like it feels so, feels like one of those true things that you would put into your art if you were making a movie about something like this that you went through. Um, yeah. It 
it was that was that was some of that touching stuff and i feel like for anyone who has known loss of any kind like that 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 hits you and like that idea of like what you wouldn't do to have just one more day with that person or whoever it was Um, right i really like that i think they 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 smacked you with that (laughs) at the end um you saw it coming but they still smacked you with it and the movie the last shot of the movie and again this is absolutely not a spoiler is you would think it's probably like magic or something but it's just like a still of a family old family photo of the brothers when they were young and their mother and that's just the most like loving ending i could imagine just ending on a family picture it's like a love letter to his his family you know that was really nice yeah and the very last thing that really touched me was i freaking loved the score for this movie this is one of my favorite animated scores good score yeah really good i've been listening to it while doing work for the past two days um just the score really good tracks the brandy carlisle song playing she has a song for this movie it plays the ending credits and the movie ending like i'm already crying and then brandy carlisle's voice which i consider the voice that carries the most emotion currently in modern music honestly i'll fight this out with anybody else that was like the last straw for me i was just weeping in my seat like a fool um it, it, like wow really good music really really sealed the emotion of the movie for me i agree so let's finish this out with your game which will be interesting because things are weird right now oh yeah but before that i've got a hypothetical question oh please go for it so i've read some murmurings that because people really liked the universe that this movie created but also that people didn't really watch this movie that they would be open to watching a sequel. Now, we've talked in the past about Pixar and sequels, so I'm going to pose this question to you very simply. Would you want an Onward sequel? No, I don't really know what it would give. The brother's journey is very clear. If you're going to do something, make it a Disney Plus animated show. And it can be a sequel, like it can still be about the brothers if you want but frankly just more in this world is more than enough um i don't watch this show but i know that there are ardent fans of tangled the animated series it is supposed to be very very good and i think it is a prequel no it might be a sequel anyway uh it is just supposed to be very very good and very like mature and very respectful and it actually adds to that legacy rather than detracting from it. And I feel like if you did a sequel of Onward, it would detract from it. Because it is the story, again, it is like almost autobiographical, other than that they're elves. Um, so I think if you're going to do it, you just need to do a series and you need to make it creative enough to do its own thing. Like, don't worry about making it based on the father anymore. Just let us explore this interesting world. I feel the exact same. Make it a short if you're going to make one, but that's it. Yep. Yep. It was so self-contained and well tied together. Otherwise, I think it's a mistake. Yep. Cool. So let's move on to our trans at rank tick. Okay, great. So why don't you give us the, what is this game for those who are listening for the first time today? Absolutely. First off, go listen to the rest of our episodes. This is a really great podcast, you guys. Second, (laughs) um... This game is called Transit Rank Tick because it's transatlantic and it's about ranking. So what Eric is going to attempt to do is guess in order or as close to an order as he can the top five performing movies of the last weekend in both the UK and in the US, acknowledging that there will be some amount of overlap. 
and we're going to give him some time to think about it, and then he's just going to dive into it, and then I'm going to tell him how he did. Okay. As always, I'm going to start with the UK. I have no idea. Did Onward release in the UK the same time yes, it did in it, the US? it released in both places before this date, so okay, count it. I'm going to say that Onward finally took out Doolittle from the number one spot in the UK. I'm going to say that Doolittle is somehow number two. Um, I don't know anything else that even released. Oh, Emma? Did that movie come out? I think Emma is going to be in there because it's about Europe, uh, I think. And uh, let's see. What else? What else? What else? Um, we'll stick Bad Boys in there again because that movie has crazy legs for some reason. And let's do it. Oh, The Invisible Man. Of course. Uh, I'm going re- to revise. Let's put Invisible Man as number two. Doolittle, Emma, Bad Boys. Okay. How'd I do? Um, not great. <laughs> oh, no. But you got two perfect. Two correct movies in the correct place. Ooh. And the other three are wild cards. Okay. Um, the UK is bizarre, but also the US is bizarre for this week, so it's fine. Um, Uh-oh. number one, Onward, yep. Number two, The Invisible Man, good job. Um, number three, a deeply weird movie that I have personally talked to you about and I cannot believe is on this chart or exists at all, Military Wives. So for people who haven't heard of this, don't, like, don't bother. It's this weird, like, misfire of a comedy about probably Military Wives. It's very british if it, it's supposed to release there like definitely skip it um number four sonic oh right yeah i think sonic is what booted doolittle because doolittle's not on here oh, and well, number five parasite yeah oh my god uk really really holding on to parasite nice yeah it's you know you you give you give us the best movie of the year like six months late and this is what we do with it so <laughs> yeah that's fair uh okay here comes the u.s i'm feeling good about this one onward number one number two sonic number three invisible man let's switch that around actually let's do invisible man then sonic number four the way back with ben affleck and the number five let's say that people really like the call of the wild you did so good. You basically yeah. nailed it. I think you might have actually gotten it perfect. I think you just swapped two movies around, but you got oh. all five and almost in perfect order. Oh, I'm so, so excited. So Onward was number one, Invisible yep. Man number two, Great. Finding, what is it? The Way Back. The Way Back the way is back. number three. Great. Uh, Sonic number four and Call awesome. of the Wild number five. Nailed Hell it. yeah. Okay, so I just needed to believe more in The Way Back. Um, yeah. Wow. Look at that. I actually, that's probably the best I've ever done in this game. That's fantastic. Yeah. I feel great about that. I can't believe you're so good at this. I mean, I, I have faith in you, but this is just such an impossibly hard game to me. So good job. Yeah, I'm feeling, I'm every week I'm getting better and better, except for when I don't. So like a trend, you know? <laughs> that's uh, how all of life works. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I really quickly, I do want to talk about the buckets I had mentioned earlier to sort of give my recommendation. Mm-hmm. I would say that this movie to me falls into Pixar's middle ground of movies, which is to say, um, like, you know, if you're going in expecting Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., The Incredibles, Up, you're going to be disappointed. Um, But if you're going in thinking, like, Pixar has also made the movie Cars and Brave, um, and uh, I mean, maybe if you're not a very smart person, Ratatouille, um, then you'll think that it is a middle ground movie. Um, 
which is to say that it is perfectly good. Like it's, it's not their best, but it's certainly not their worst. And it has a lot of enjoyable things in it. And that's great. And then sort of their bottom bucket, I would say, are things that again, are like, they're not bad. They're just not up to Pixar's normal quality. Like Cars 2. That's kind of the first one that always comes to mind. The good dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I would say my recommendation is considering that there are no other movies in theaters right now that are really like new or interesting. That's not true. There's probably some interesting things, but nothing that is as family friendly, I would say. I think Onward is a really great thing to see, um, especially when things are kind of kind of sour right now in the world. Onward can be a very uh, hopeful and kind of bright thing to watch. So I would recommend it either now or on Disney Plus inevitably. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so my streaming plug for the week is uh, on Netflix, but I believe that Hulu was the original, I don't know what it is, streaming partner or whatever. So I think this movie is always available on Hulu as well. It's Ingrid Goes West. Um, I really love this movie a lot. I watched it way back when it was one of those independent movies that nobody watched um, and loved it so much. I've, I believe it should have been pretty mainstream. It's this kind of like dark comedy drama. That movie light is thriller so movie? dark. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a turn. It's, it's one of those movies yeah. where something happens and it, yeah, it goes off the rails, but in a good way, the drama follows. Um, very bizarre movie about, um, mm-hmm. kind of an influencer who has a fan who has kind of a unhealthy obsession with her and they all live in LA and stuff happens. That's all I'm going to say. And it's Aubrey Plaza and Elizabeth Olsen playing just their God-made characters. Oh, that's Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, Scarlet Witch. Never realized that. Yeah. Her brother is the guy from Aladdin. The prince who shows up, who's like huh. Nordic or something, Scandinavian. You know what I'm talking about? The blonde guy? I'm trying to remember. Well, uh, Elizabeth Olsen's brother is in this movie, and he is played by that guy, who I don't know anything else about him, and I don't know his name. But he's in Aladdin as well, the live-action one. And he's in Ingrid Goes West, and he's very good. He is very good. Um, he's very spooky, but he's very good. Yeah. Everyone's very unsettling in this movie. Um but it's a really yep. good, it's a fun ride. That's how I'll describe it. Just just hit play and enjoy it. Would you describe it as a fun ride? <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was just crazy. I don't think crazy. I had fun with that movie. I think it was, I it was so good. I had so much but fun. Really? But this is my kind of movie, though. Okay, maybe that's why. I, I remember sitting in the theater when it stopped playing, and I was just like, oh, oh my. Great. Yeah, it's good. I echo that. Um, my recommendation is on Hulu. It is a completely out of left field. It's just a movie I happen to very much enjoy, and I forgot that it was on there. The Hunt for the Wilder People, unless it is Hunt for the Wilder People. I've never known. Uh, it is a New Zealand-produced film from Taika Waititi, his first kind of... Uh, I think it was like his first big feature film that kind of hit the markets. Um, it has Sam Neill in it. It has the young man who is also in Deadpool 2. I don't know his name, unfortunately. Uh, and it is incredibly good. It is a very funny comedy, um, but in kind of that classic, like, kind of awkward Taika way. Um, and it is very sweet. And the soundtrack is great. And that's going for someone who doesn't really care about music that much. It's just like a very good, well put together soundtrack. Uh, I really can't recommend it enough. Okay. So those were our streaming recommendations. 
just some quick plugs, I guess. You can find us, Are You Still Watching? on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, uh, soon to come Google Play Store. I don't know what that one's called. Google Podcasts. Google Podcasts. Thank you. Uh, Podbean, that's what you prefer. And uh, on Patreon, if you feel like in this time of quarantine, you really want some incredibly long and tangential podcasts about movies uh, that just give you all the information you'd ever want to know, and you feel like they should be financially supported, then you can find us on Patreon. Yes. Give us a dollar and we'll do any movie you want. That's so true. If you give us one dollar, we will do any any movie you want. For a dollar. I will commit to that. Yeah. Yep. That's a good price. We're also on Twitter, and all of those are Are You Still Watching or AYSW. Yes. And on Twitter, we're at AYSWpod. Yeah. And all the links should be at those places, so please enjoy. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. I am at more Eric Morales. And I am at OKShalila. And I think that's it. We will see you next time uh, where we will be talking about something a little prescient. Uh, We'll be covering some good apocalypse movies during this uh, global pandemic quarantine period. So if you're one of those people that enjoys uh, indulging in movies that are uh, reflective of the mindset or the condition that you're in, rather than trying to distract yourself from them, this will be your podcast. Uh, We're going to cover quite a few of our favorite apocalypse movies, uh, and I think we have a self-imposed rule that we're going to institute. These are movies that are about humans doing stuff to themselves. Uh, So things like alien invasions, zombies, etc. don't count. This is going to be uh, natural disasters, pandemics, etc. And we're going to be covering all of those ridiculous films because the vast majority of them are, in fact, ridiculous. Really looking forward to that one. If you have any recommendations for us, we would love to have them. If you have any uh, favorite disaster movies, we will happily talk about them on the pod. But until then, have a good quarantine and go see Onward. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody.